Neil Diamond. Hi, Rose. Mom says hi. Oh. <laughs> you know him? I know his mother. I used to play canasta with her. <laughs> Say, Spilkes. Spilkes. Benjamin Mazeltov, we're proud of you. As he prepares to become a bar mitzvah, a boy tries to bring his father and grandfather together. Special guest Eli Noah joins us to discuss the opposite of a hippie, kids who recognize Neil Diamond, and adjusting your balls on the bima. Then we find out if keeping up with the Steins stands the test of time. Test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut. Alan says as a father, blah blah. It's the test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to an amazing episode of the Test of Time podcast. I'm joining you, the listener, one James Brief, but today, a special occasion for our listeners. We don't have one Noah. We have two Noahs with us. That's right. It's me, Alan Noah, and my son, Eli Noah, joining us again. Hello, Eli. Hello, listeners. It's the second week in a row that we've had two Noahs because my sister Sam was here last week for the Devil Wears Prada. So it's a little bit of a nepotism special. Courtney may be joining us for Valentine's Day in a couple weeks too, but whatever. A little nepotism's okay. And it's actually a pretty exciting episode because this is uh, your boy's last uh, episode on the Test of Time podcast. Oh, I get it because then he'll be a man, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the movie we're talking about today is called Keeping Up with the Steins, and it's about a family and a boy who is becoming a bar mitzvah, and I really wanted to watch this movie because, Eli, you are about to become a bar mitzvah. Yes, indeed. How do you feel about that? Oh, well, it's a very special celebration in the Jewish culture, so yeah, it's a pretty big deal. It is, and... To the point of your joke, James, it's when a Jewish boy becomes a Jewish man. Not much really changes in your day-to-day life, but in the eyes of the Jewish community, you become a man. So it's a big deal, and I don't know if there's a lot of movies out there focused on bar mitzvahs. I'm guessing that there are others, but this was the first one that came to mind. So I really wanted to do it on the podcast. To be honest... I wasn't sure that you'd want to come on the podcast to talk about it, Eli, but we watched it and you said you wanted to come on. So, hey, here you are. Yeah. I mean, uh, I really wanted to do this as my, like, bar mitzvah episode. I do want to commend you, Al. You used the correct way to uh, use the term bar mitzvah. You did not use it as a verb and said, oh, uh, because my son is getting bar mitzvahed, uh, he's becoming a bar mitzvah, or you're having a bar mitzvah, you know, because that, that's more the party. Bar mitzvah means like you're a son or daughter of the law. Basically, it's kind of like being a minor where like you're under 18, you you're not going to do any time. Like all the rules and uh, all that stuff you don't really have to do yet. Once you're 13, then you have to do all those things, which, you know, most people don't do. 
<laughs> right. Uh, but I use the term correctly because we just recently had a meeting with the rabbi, Eli and I, and he pointed out that the bar mitzvah is the person. And I'm guessing throughout the course of the episode, I might just slip back into the wrong way of saying it of like, and then they go to his bar mitzvah. And if I do that, I mean the party. And that is how most people refer to it. That's how most people use the term of like, oh, Eli, your bar mitzvah is coming up. And that's not technically accurate, but that's kind of how people say it. So we might do it throughout the course of the episode. And that's okay. And I do think that's semantics. I, I do uh, I do cringe a little at the verb uh, being bar mitzvahed. Okay. But I do think when you're saying, oh, we're going to Sam's bar mitzvah, like that's implying the party. Okay. I think it's bar mitzvah parentheses party. Fair, fair point. Um, but before we get into that tradition of Jewish life, we have another tradition that we do here on the test of time. And that is every January, we predict the movies that will be the biggest box office hits of the year. And we look back and see how we did on last year's predictions. James, I think this is maybe your favorite tradition or one of them? Yeah, I've had a weird obsession with the box office my entire life. Uh, Every single Sunday, I would read the box office uh, returns. I find box office to be really interesting. So I guess we should say what our predictions were for this year that we made last January. My top three from three to two to one were The Batman, Black Panther, colon Wakanda Forever, and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Do you remember your top three? I definitely remember why number one was. I, I predicted very, uh, very confidently that Avatar, uh, Avatar 2 as I called it back then, Avatar 2 would be number one uh, of the year. I predicted Wakanda Forever would be number two. What was the third one that I predicted? The Batman. You and I picked the same three and two, which I guess is a little bit boring, but that's what we went with. And I do remember that uh, I did not consider uh, Doctor Strange. And yeah, Doctor Strange was number three. Uh, Black Panther, we cur- uh, I correctly predicted, was number two. And, As did I. And uh, Top Gun Maverick was number one at the current uh, time. Now, Avatar is uh, still in theaters, uh, so it remains to be seen what the uh, number one film is. But well, wait a second. Now, let me clarify these rules. If Avatar makes more money in 2023, that still counts towards it being a top movie of 2022? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. I would say that because then you're discounting every single film basically released after Thanksgiving, that it can't be top film. Because even a, a hit in November is going to bring in 20 to 50 million in January. You know, that's never been clarified. So if you did not pick Avatar for that reason, I would uh, give an exception there. No, no, I didn't. But Avatar 2 currently sits at the number four spot. It's getting close to the number three spot right now for 2022. So if you're going to say that the money it earns will count, then sure, it it could creep into the top three. Fine, that will go by worldwide numbers. And Avatar, colon, The Way of Water is the number one film of 2022 with $1.7 Top Gun Maverick, uh, that topped out at $1.4 billion. Do you know what number three in the whole world was? It's none of the films you've mentioned. What? Jurassic Park, colon, Dominion. Oh. Eli, of those movies that you saw, which were your favorites? 
I really, really like the Batman. Yeah. I can't wait for Batman 2. Is that releasing? TBD, based on whatever James Gunn decides he's doing with the uh, the DC Extended Universe. I would think that movie would get a sequel. I mean, it's not coming now. They haven't uh, officially announced it. But uh, I would guess that such a movie will happen eventually. But I don't think they've you know, announced a, anything concrete about it. No, uh, they have not announced it, and they are announcing. I believe James Gunn is going to be announcing like the DC plan. Uh, I think he's delivering it to Warner Brothers like around now, and I think it's going to be public sometime in the spring. Oh, okay. Let me ask you this though, Eli. Not what what is your favorite. What would you say was the most popular movie of the year among girls, boys your age, and also the number one streaming show? What was the thing people talked about? Number one movie for teens my age this year was probably Minion. Uh, what was the Minions movie called? The Rise of Gru. Oh, yeah. That was probably the biggest movie and streaming show. Is Stranger Things, uh, was that really popular with your age? Yeah, that's a really popular TV show. Um, I feel like people have been talking about Wednesday a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty relatively new TV show. A lot of people have been watching that TV show. Honestly, I feel like Family Guy is pretty big. Really? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Can you tell us older people who uh, who's popular in the music world right now? I mean, Drake releases new albums, so that's probably pretty popular. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anybody else. How about your father's uh, music? Is that really popular these days? You know, real 80s new wave stuff? No, not at all. I don't know that 80s new wave is my music. I think all 80s music is your music. Sure, but I also love 90s and 70s and 60s and 2000s and all kinds of decades. You do not like 60s music? I love 60s music. I just bought Mom of... Otis Redding album for Christmas. That's for mom, though, not you. Yeah, but I love it, too. Thank you. Okay. All right, but so, James, what are your top three picks for this year, for 2023, at the box office? You know, this year is incredibly difficult to predict. Wouldn't you say, Ella, 2023? Yeah. There is no singular Avengers. There's nothing, like, absolutely that's going to smash it. And uh, also, I think some of the movies coming out this year are going to be wildly different. The uh, top 10 domestic and top 10 world. And when we do this game, I don't know if we've ever officially clarified this rule either. We're talking about domestic, right? Is that what we're doing? I think it probably allows both of us to cheat a little bit and claim victory (laughs) either way. But uh, because then it's not like you were wrong. That that wasn't there. But both of us can be right. Okay, Uh, sure. So, you know, vaguely... The number three film of the year. It's really, really tough. I had a lot of things on this. I'm choosing between two films here. I'm going to go with the easy one. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, James Gunn's going to pull out all the stops here. It's his last film with Marvel, I think. Yeah. The last Guardians of the Galaxy. The last uh, Drax. But uh, what's your number three? I'm going to go with the Super Mario Brothers movie. That was what I was going to put in number three. I think that... This movie is going to be popular. Eli, the fact that you said that kids love Minions, colon, The Rise of Gru, makes me think that DreamWorks can hit with an audience, like a a young audience. Also, the fact that Sonic was such a huge hit a few years ago. I mean, Mario is more popular than Sonic still, I think, probably. 
And, you know, yeah, people were mad about Chris Pratt being the voice. And I saw the trailer. I wasn't that impressed with the voice. But whatever. I think people will like it. When we saw Wakanda Forever and the Super Mario trailer played, like the whole theater was like cheering. Yeah, um, it's definitely pretty popular with my age group, too. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and the only thing that's going against it is it might be a terrible movie. There's no plot to Super Mario Brothers, really. I mean, Peach gets kidnapped, and Bowser's kind of a fun bad guy, and sometimes he goes go-kart racing with Mario, so... right. Maybe they're going to go the Lego movie route, and it's going to be a little bit meta. It's a little bit of a wild card for me. All right, you do uh, number two. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The last movie did huge numbers. This is the last one. People will show up to see it, I think, maybe. Also, the fact that Top Gun colon Maverick was such a big hit makes me think that a Lego sequel and, you know, seeing a long forgotten character who's not really long forgotten but hasn't been seen in a long time coming back out for one more adventure people like that and if the movie's good then people will go see it so i'm gonna say indiana jones will be number two my number two this is the film that uh i think might be number one in the world Um, I'm going with uh, Fast X, Fast 10. Mm -hmm. It's a wildly popular series. I think they understand the formula. They haven't been stupid with it, and they haven't really changed much. Whether it's going to be one, two, or three, it's going to be up there. This one does not have to be that good. It's just going to make so much money. And it's one of those films that people will want to see in the theater. That's the thing that I really wanted to think of. Do people want to see this movie in the theater? That's why last year I predicted Avatar. Gotcha. Eli, we didn't ask you to do a top three, but do you have a pick for the number one movie of this year? The number one movie of this year? Um, actually going to go with a little bit of a surprise pick right here. Okay. With Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Ooh, okay. That is a bold choice, but, you know, people loved the uh, the last one, which I still haven't seen. I really need to see that. I'll watch it before the sequel comes out. You saw it, right? Yeah, I saw it. It's a really good Spider-Man movie. It's probably better than Marvel's Spider-Man movies, I would say. Whoa, shots fired. You know what? I can I can see that doing very, very well. That film was so good. I, I agree with you. And it's had these two guys behind it that have not had a bad film yet. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. They've made uh, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. Uh, they made um, the, Lego uh, the, movie. the Lego movie. You, you know what they famously were in, uh, directing. They were directing Solo until they got fired and uh, replaced by uh, Ron Howard. Oh, that 1996 Mario Van Peebles film, Solo? No, Solo colon A Star Wars Story. Oh, okay. My, my bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or my bad for not saying the full title. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll say mine. Indiana Jones 5, I think that will be number one domestically, uh, certainly. I was really going to put Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in my top three as high as number one. You know, looking at the first movie's take, I I don't think it's going to be as big. But Spider-Man No Way Home was so big that uh, I I think you have a real good chance. That's what I really kind of wanted to put in my top uh, number three. Number three, I was really confused about either Mario, Spider-Man, or uh, as I picked, volume three. And I don't know if that'll be the right one. But um, Indy 5, I think it's going to be a huge hit. I mean, it's directed by James Margold. 
He directed uh, Ford versus Ferrari. He did Logan, the last uh, Wolverine film. He did uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash film. He did a great film that uh, I've been wanting to do on the podcast. I've mentioned it a few times called Copland. I don't know what happened with Crystal Skull, but it, you know it, it wasn't the finale that, say, Last Crusade was. And I think they're really doing this to uh, to close the chapter on it. I think they're going to do a really good job on this one. And this is going to be a reason for an older audience to go to the theater because they want to see Harrison Ford one more time. Sure, 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 sure. Well, my number one pick is The Little Mermaid. I think Disney is due. Eli, you do not agree? That is one of the worst picks ever. Okay. Thank you, Eli. You're grounded now. Everybody is just going to wait like a couple of months and then watch it on Disney Plus and it's not going to make that much money. That may be true, but they did have the number one movie a few years back with their live action Beauty and the Beast. And since then, their live action movies have kind of been not flops, but not as successful. I think... The Little Mermaid's going to hit that sweet spot. It's in that same era of nostalgia for when the animated movie came out. I think people are going to want to see this new live-action take. Everyone loves those songs. I really think that could be the big hit of 2023. And just to correct you, Al, uh, The Lion King actually made more than Beauty and the Beast. Oh, really? Slightly more. Generally, it's a good bet to bet on uh, Disney live-action. However, it could be a Dumbo. All right, pick a flop for the year, James. I'm going to pick a flop, and I'm going to pick a surprise hit. The Hunger Games, and if you know, there's a prequel coming out, the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I don't think that's going to be very popular. Um, The one I'm really on the fence about, if it's going to be a flop, this is either going to be a disaster, or it's going to be like a Lego movie. It's going to be talked about as such a surprise Barbie I think that's going to be a surprise. I think that's going to do well. I feel like Margot Robbie is really smart and she picks movies that are going to be good. Is she like a producer on it or something? I think she has some creative involvement beyond just being Barbie. I feel like that is going to surprise people. As directed by uh, Greta Gerwig, she's been critically acclaimed in her uh, movies that she's directed. I don't believe any of them have been massive hits, though. Mm -hmm. So it remains to be seen. Eli, what do you think is going to be the flop of the year? Okay, so I have a couple flops of the year. Go for it. Well, obviously, I think that The Little Mermaid is not going to do that well, so that's one flop. And um, I think that the new Ghostbusters movie will also not do that well. Ouch. We really liked the last one. The last one wasn't that good. I don't think so. Yes, you did. You loved it. No, I didn't. Okay, I seem to recall you enjoying it in the movie theater, but I guess I'm wrong. Al, what about you? What's the big flop of the year? Dungeons and Dragons, colon, Honor Among Thieves. You're absolutely right. That's going to be an easy flop. I mean, first off, terrible title. I get it that they want to have like a subtitle, so that way, you know, when they make more of them, they'll each have their own subtitle. That trailer is really bad. I feel like we saw it before, Wakanda Forever, and... Maybe something else, uh, but it just looks god-awful. And yeah, I know Dungeons & Dragons has its fans, but not that many of them. And even if like half of them don't go to the movie, that's not enough. I don't think there's enough star power. I don't think there's enough like 
cool effects or whatever, I, I don't think that's going to be a big draw. But let's talk about keeping up with the Steins because, Eli, you're going to be a bar mitzvah and James, you were a bar mitzvah, I assume, right? I am a bar mitzvah. So are you. All right, fine. Well, let's remind our listeners what this movie is about. It's about a family called the Fiedlers and their son Benjamin is becoming a bar mitzvah. Benjamin's parents are trying to outdo the extravagant party held by another family, the Steins. As Benjamin grows more nervous about his upcoming rite of passage, he invites his estranged grandfather to stay at his family home. Benjamin's plan is to distract his parents from the upcoming party and even maybe cancel it. However, Benjamin bonds with his grandfather and he learns the true meaning of what it means to become a man. And I saw this movie with Courtney, with your mom, when it came out in theaters. It was uh, shortly before we got engaged, actually, in May 2006. I know it was not a big hit. I feel like it was in and out of theaters. Not a lot of people saw it. Was it a huge bomb, James? Uh, I made $4 million total. The budget was around the same amount. You know, probably didn't make uh, too much money, but uh, or probably didn't lose too much money either. But did you notice uh, the director? Yeah, it's Scott Marshall, who is the son of Gary Marshall, who plays the grandpa, Irwin. And yeah, this was his first movie that he ever directed. Um, let's get into bar mitzvahs. Eli, you have never been to a bar mitzvah. Your bar mitzvah will be the first bar mitzvah that you attend. Yeah, I definitely would have liked to have a bar mitzvah before just to get used to it, but uh, I think I'll still do great. You're going to do great, but when you watch the movie and it starts with the Steins bar mitzvah, which is the big extravagant thing, I can relate to that because I've been to some parties like that. I'm guessing that maybe you'll get to go to one or two after your bar mitzvah, but you haven't been to one yet, so you can't really relate. James, have you ever been to a bar mitzvah like that? Um, Not a, a bar mitzvah like that. I've been to fancy ones, but they weren't like that. I, I've heard of those. I know people like that live in uh, parts of Los Angeles, and they've had these kind of things. Bar mitzvahs at Dodger Stadium, that, that kind of thing, like, like in the film. Uh, I was in a little Jewish school, and there were only like 23 of us in the class. Everyone's invited to everyone else's bar and bar mitzvah. It's, it's totally implied. Uh, no one would ever leave someone off there. Everyone kind of went to the one of three catering halls. It was pretty much what you did. Right. And it, they were all very similar. You had one of three DJs. You know, right. if it was a little fancier, you had more of like the band kind of thing. But certainly as a kid, you wouldn't have even noticed any of this stuff. Like it would be like, is there chicken fingers? And are they giving out inflatable saxophones as a prize? Like that's what I would care about. Right, right, right. I think at my cousin Seth's bar mitzvah, I got a cassette tape from Bananarama as like a prize for Coke or Pepsi or one of those like, you know, silly party games. And I was really, really excited that I got a Bananarama cassette tape. Those silly little giveaways, that's what you cared about. But yeah, I mean, the idea that these families spend so much money on these parties for a 13-year-old... I haven't been to a bar mitzvah since I was a kid. I do know that they do still exist. I've heard other parents at Hebrew school talking about how much money some of these bar mitzvahs can cost. 
that's not what your bar mitzvah is going to be. Your bar mitzvah, and I'm saying it like uh, the bar mitzvah party, but your party is going to be much smaller. It's a close family and friends affair. It's not going to involve a recreation of the Titanic like you see in this movie and uh, the huge extravagant drinks and all that stuff. But I feel like that's cool, right? Like you didn't want that kind of a thing anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, it also kind of takes away the point of the bar mitzvah. This is one of the main points in the movie is that the bar mitzvah party shouldn't be like taking away from the actual bar mitzvah. That's right. And it sort of makes me think about, speaking of kids' birthdays, a baby's first birthday party. It's not for the baby. The baby is one year old and doesn't care and doesn't know what's happening. Like, do you remember anything from your first birthday party? I think I had Sesame Street cupcakes there. You only remember that if there's a photograph of that. You do not yeah. remember that by yourself. Right. Yeah. right, right, right. And we have lots of pictures because mom made you all those uh, amazing Elmo and Cookie Monster and Big Bird cupcakes. But yeah, it's for the parents. It's for the adults. And the same thing is true with these extravagant bar mitzvahs. It's for the parents to show off. And you're absolutely right, Eli. Like, it doesn't matter to the kid. And it's not what the bar mitzvah is about. If you're just throwing a huge, lavish party to show off that you have money, cool. But does a 13-year-old really care about that? Or do they just want to hang with their friends? Yeah, they, they just want to hang with their friends. They don't care about, like... Uh, what what did they have? They had like a whole like iceberg thing. Like, yeah, I wouldn't care about that. Right. You just want to hang with your friends. Yeah. And I do actually like that in this movie, the Stein kid who has the bar mitzvah, he's chill. Like he's fine. He's not like a rich, arrogant, smug jerk. Like, you know, his parents are, but he's happy to just like hang out with his friends. And I was wondering if they were going to make him and to be like, kind of a villain, you know, like the rich kid of like, your party's not going to be as cool as mine, but he doesn't really care either. He probably also thought that his parents were party was going to be like huge too. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to take a moment just in case, uh, People aren't aware. I just want to take a moment to explain what a, a bar mitzvah is. Usually a boy, a 13, a girl, 12 years old. It could be either age, though. There's a ceremony where they go into the synagogue and they read from uh, the Torah and or another part called the Haftorah from the Book of Prophets and Writings. The difficult part is it's read in Hebrew. So for children that have never learned Hebrew, not only do they have to read and sometimes sing in a different language, you have to learn a new alphabet. The letters are written from right to left instead of left to right. It's very difficult. So this is the, the part that most uh, kids have a little stress about. And usually in, in modern times, there's some kind of mostly secular party that takes place either immediately after this, uh, this ceremony or sometimes if the, uh, the religious part is Saturday morning or uh, Friday night, it might be the next night, like Saturday night at some catering hall or just like the synagogue might have its own party room. That's what I had. It was just in the synagogue's big room. But uh, the point of this movie is that sometimes these parties are really over the top and have nothing to do with the religion at all. It's common to have what they call themes for the party. Like the theme might be baseball, like the character says in this film. And then instead of table cards where you're seated at table five and ten, you're seated at table New York Mets. And what are they going to serve there? They're going to serve like ballpark hot dogs and fries. Or you're going to have a theme of Star Wars and uh, people are handing out lightsabers everywhere. This is what people do. And Eli, what's your theme? Baseball slash New York Mets. 
a popular theme. And usually there's a little yarmulkes you give uh, to everyone, anyone, those Jewish skull caps. Are you going to have like a baseball skull cap on there? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the theme to your bar mitzvah, James? I didn't have one. <gasps> no, I just had like, like a color. Like I didn't really think of anything there. Wow, I'm really shocked. I thought you were going to have like... Star Wars or video games or something like space or Pluto or something like that. No, you, you know, that, that probably would have uh, been what I would have done. But Which uh, one? Pluto? No, probably like some kind of uh, space. Well, was I that into space that time? I definitely got into it more in high school. Okay. But um, my brother and sister had more of a kids-only party. Really, you came in like jeans and t-shirts and like got your own t-shirt spray-painted in the corner, like that kind of party. For mine and Amanda's, uh, my little sister, there were regular tables you sat at, and my parents' friends were there. So it wasn't as like kitty, but it was definitely not fancy. It was the uh, it was the synagogue. That that is like the least fancy you could do. Gotcha, gotcha. And what about you, Al? What was the theme to yours, or the color? No, I had a theme, and it was roller coasters. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of a lame theme, but I like roller coasters. Everyone likes roller coasters. My mom was cleaning out her attic not that long ago, and uh, I found a T-shirt of it, uh, you know, Alan's Roller Coaster Bar Mitzvah, which was, you know, also a thing that people did back then. Everyone got a T-shirt from the Bar Mitzvah. Did you have a T-shirt from yours? No, actually, my party favorite, which I still use to this day, was a coffee cup, which I did not use for about 25 years. <laughs> but, because um, <laughs> I never really drank coffee until like a couple of years ago. But there were uh, two versions of the of the mug, a boy's and girl's name, because you couldn't fit them on one cup. It's one of the only Bar Mitzvah giveaways that actually survived a couple of years and is actually still in use years later. That's a weird gift for a thirteen-year-old a coffee cup. I, it, well, okay, let me let me uh, correct it. It was a coffee cup, and at the time, filled with candies and like lollipops sticking out, and then it had that like bow on it. Like that's what this was. The mug was an apparatus to hold the candy. Gotcha. What's the giveaway at yours? Do you know, Eli? Isn't it uh, Big League Two? Yeah, uh, among some other things, but yeah, all baseball-related giveaways and things yeah mom was in charge of figuring all that stuff out because she's good at that sort of thing yeah now let me ask you uh eli you're in front of everyone you go on the stage uh, they call the bima and you go on you have to sing in hebrew in front of everyone and this boy is understandably nervous about doing all that what, what's it been like to learn another language and uh you know read it in another language well, I have memorized my prayers and all that stuff, but like, if I ever mess up, the only person that knows my prayers is a cantor. I don't even think the rabbi knows like my prayers. <laughs> so like, it's basically just the cantor that knows it. The people in my family, I don't think any of them know how to read Hebrew, do they? I think you have a couple of relatives who do, but I think to your point, yeah, the cadre will be the only one who's going to really know if you make a mistake. Yeah. That's a great attitude because I never thought of something like that. Um, yeah, no one's going to know at all. And what's she going to do? Stand up in the middle and say, hey, that's wrong, Eli. Do it again. Honestly, the main thing that has been like the trouble for me, I guess, is probably the melodies. But yeah, if I make an ah instead of a ah, nobody's going to know. That's right. That's right. And in the movie, there's like a thing where if you're nervous, you can just 
pinch your balls as a way to like distract you. Sorry if that's weird for your dad to say, but like, are you worried that you're going to have to pinch your balls during the bar mitzvah? You know, balls always get in that position. I kind of have to move them, but, um, (laughs) I mean, I'll be up in front of a lot of people. So I don't know how suddenly I can like slide my hands into my pocket. (laughs) Oh God, this conversation took a very weird turn very, very quickly. And it's all my fault. That's true, Al. Um, I saw a great fact about this film. Daryl Sabara, he's the main character in this film. He's Ben, and he's Jewish in real life. He was preparing for his own bar mitzvah when he was preparing for this role, and his haftorah portion, the portion that he has to sing in Hebrew, was the same portion he has to sing in this film. So, I mean, that lucky guy got to, like, professionally practice and have a studio hire, you know, whatever they needed. And plus, you know, you had to get it right for the cameras, and you're getting paid for it. So, you know, it certainly helps there. And speaking of people who are actually Jewish and people who aren't, Gary Marshall does such a good job as playing a Jewish grandpa in this movie. I thought he was Jewish. He's not. He's Italian. And we were talking about that uh, not that long ago when we were talking about the movie Boiler Room, how like sometimes Italians can be cast as Jews and Jews can be cast as Italians and no one seems to mind. That's a thing that happens in Hollywood. But Gary Marshall, I think, nails it as a Jewish grandpa. What did you think, Eli? Yeah, he he definitely did play the role of a Jewish grandpa pretty well. We can say that as Jews. This person totally nailed being Jews. I don't think we would have the authority to be like, oh my God, that person, classic Puerto Rican grandmother. Yeah, you can say that someone doesn't do a good job of representing your culture, but if you feel like they do a good job of representing your culture, then it's perfectly fine to acknowledge that. I think either way is fine. And Jeremy Piven is Jewish. Uh, Doris Roberts, who plays the grandma, she's Jewish. The boy, as you said, he's Jewish. So a lot of the actors in this movie are, in fact, Jewish. Gary Marshall's not, but man, he, he plays the role really, really well. And you have two Jewish grandpas. You have Gramps and Jeepa. Jeepa's my dad and Gramps is my stepdad. Who is Erwin more like? They both have traits that Erwin has. Um, I would say, though, probably more like Jeepa. Okay, how so? He's very into fishing. Okay. Jeepa seems like a grandpa that would maybe have a ponytail. <laughs> Erwin's a hippie. You think Jeepa's more hippie-like? Gramps was in a biker gang, so that's kind of the opposite of hippie. Okay. I mean, g is definitely not a hippie either. I get what you're saying. But I mentioned earlier about like that meeting we had with the rabbi about how, you know, what a bar mitzvah is and how you are the bar mitzvah. It's not the party and all that. The speech that you and I got from the rabbi was pretty similar to the speech the rabbi gave in this movie, right? Yeah, the speeches were very, very alike about what it means to be man and responsibility and all that stuff. Right, right, right. I wonder if uh, Rabbi Jeff watched this movie. Oh, uh, maybe. Also, Rabbi Jeff, if you're listening, can't wait to have you on my bar mitzvah. Oh, that's very sweet. A shout out to your rabbi. Nice. Um, I want to mention the main conflict of the movie, which is basically between Jeremy Piven and his father, played by Gary Marshall. The crux of it is that 
the dad, Erwin, left when Jeremy Piven's character was a kid, and so he has resentment towards his dad. They have been estranged for all of these years. I really kind of like the ending, where they work their stuff out, kinda. They kinda hug it out, but there's still some resentment there, and Jeremy Piven even says something like, you know, I can't just wish that it's all gone, like it's not that easy for me. And Gary Marshall says something like, oh, have you ever made a mistake, something so bad that you just can't undo it? And then uh, Jeremy Piven says, yeah, of course, I'm an agent because this character that he plays is a Hollywood agent, which is weird because that's what he's most famous for playing on Entourage. Like they couldn't have given him a different role in the movie. I kind of hated that they just ended on a gag, but then it's like, no, that's him showing that he is like his dad because his dad always makes these gags and always makes these jokes and he's mad at his dad throughout the movie for making these little quips and one-liners instead of saying the serious thing. But he's his father's son and even though there's maybe some tension, they're going to work through it. I don't know. I just like that it wasn't all super Hollywood we're best friends now, you know, because of one silly little thing in the movie. I thought it was... Fairly realistic. Um, I was actually wondering the entire time why everyone was giving Jeremy Piven's character such a hard time for not immediately taking his father back in. No one was giving him any sympathy because they're like, how come you're being so mean to him? Because I didn't have a dad. The guy left and he still hasn't said anything. Right. Like, I'm glad they finally acknowledged it a little bit, but like, I thought the wife was not very supportive at all. That's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated relationship and everyone just expects him to forgive his dad kind of just because and he, he needs a little more than that yeah and even uh ben had secretly invited his uh strange grandpa because you know you kind of want to maybe have the apartments are canceled or something when he shows up ben doesn't take credit for it dad is like how come you did this and his wife uh, she's like i don't know maybe i invited him like you might have invited your husband's estranged father who walked out on him? That's kind of weird. Yeah, I could kind of see it, though. Like, when you're doing so much planning and there's so many details and you're dealing with a giant pile of envelopes, maybe uh, you don't pay attention to every single address on there. I could kind of see that. Maybe. Why would the estranged father's address be on one of those envelopes, though? If it was an old list or something? I don't know. Also, you could say, how did the kid even know his estranged grandpa's address to invite him? Because where would he have found that information? I guess uh, 2006, there's the internet. Maybe he could have looked it up. Whatever. I think that that's a small detail. The Neil Diamond cameo at the end, Eli. You know who Neil Diamond is, right? Yeah. Uh, Three Caroline. There you go. Okay, very, very good. Now, you know that name and you know that song possibly because you're the son of Alan Noah. Mm -hmm. But do you know what Neil Diamond looks like? Not at all. I I don't think I've ever seen him like a picture of him before this movie. Right. And now that you've even seen him, do you think you'd recognize him now? Probably not. And I don't mean as any insult to Neil Diamond. I mean that more of like... It's weird that the producers chose that in this film, 
They acted like this was Tom Cruise or Barack Obama showing up, that everyone from the little kids to the older people were all flocking to him. I just didn't think they'd know who he is. If Dua Lipa shows up at your party, all the young people know who she is. The older people won't. I just thought it was a weird cameo the way they uh, they introduced it that way. I don't remember the kids being that excited. All the adults were, sure. That's why I thought it was weird. I th- I saw kids flocking over. Maybe it's just like... Because they see that all the adults care, so then they're like, oh, this person must be important or something? Possibly. They're Hollywood kids, so maybe maybe they know. But, Eli, let me ask you. Do you think that keeping up with the Steins stands the test of time? No. No? Why not? It's a pretty outdated movie. Um, yeah, it has Neil Diamond. Most people my age... I mean, I think they, they know Sweet Caroline and that he's... The guy who sings it, but besides that, nobody knows who Neil Diamond is. Can you name another song by Neil Diamond? No. Okay. I don't know. Maybe, like, I haven't seen other temples, but that, like, temple didn't really look like a temple you would see nowadays. I think that's just because it's in L.A. I think it actually was a real temple. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you don't really see much temples like that. Did you enjoy the film? Yeah, I thought the film was good. Oh, also, another thing I want to mention is that the Hoff Torah that he chanted did not really sound like Hoff Torah. It sounded more like Torah to me because of the tropes. So I'm not really mm. sure if that was Hoff Torah that he was speaking. Because of the trope? Yeah. What's that mean? It's the symbols that are in... Uh, I'm not sure if they're in the Torah or not. Well, they're not written in the Torah, but they add them later for singing. They're basically these marks on the letters that make you sing it. Like uh, if you have a phrase, uh, thank you for coming to our restaurant. It would be, thank you for coming to this restaurant. Like there'll be notations on there for you to know it. And and there's different ones for Torah and Haftorah. So that is something only a a young man like yourself uh, would understand because uh, Al and I are pretty far removed from that. Yeah, I remember those those symbols vaguely from my bar mitzvah, but I, I get what you're saying. Okay, so, so you're a no that the movie does not stand the test of time. The movie does not stand the test of time. So one Noah is no, so let's see if uh, both Noahs are duo no's. I think it's fair to critique this movie as having a fairly thin plot, but I enjoyed watching it, and I'm... Definitely feeling extra sentimental because you are becoming a bar mitzvah and watching another family deal with different things, but, you know, related to the same thing I thought was kind of nice. And for all of the Jews run Hollywood stuff that people say, there's not a ton of movies out there about Jewish families. Courtney and I recently saw The Fablemans, which was nice because, you know, that's a story about a Jewish family. And... This isn't an original thought, but representation matters. It's nice seeing families that have your culture and your traditions and things like that. And I don't really think there's much about this movie that doesn't stand the test of time. They make some references to Jerry Springer, which you probably don't get, right, Eli? Who's Jerry Springer? Exactly. When the rabbi is talking about his book, he says that it's available at Borders and Barnes & Noble and also... It's online at Amazon.com, which, you know, nowadays you would change that order. You would just say it's available on Amazon. You wouldn't even need to say online or .com. Exactly. The .com to me is what really uh, dated that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Benjamin is playing a Game Boy Advance SP, which is a, an outdated uh, video game. But I really think that the family dynamics, they do stand the test of time. The fear of a bar mitzvah or speaking in public or doing anything in front of family and friends, that stands the test of time. And even just the title is a play on keeping up with the Joneses, which uh, I was explaining to you the other day, Eli. It's sort of just about like not wanting to feel inferior to other people who spend a lot of money. You want to keep up with them. That very much stands the test of time. That's still a thing. People worry about that. I think it's kind of silly. And I would say that as a father, don't live your life that way. Who cares what other people are doing and how much money other people have? But it's a thing. People feel that way. So I think for all of those big picture reasons, yeah, I think the movie does stand the test of time. James, you're the tiebreaker. What do you think? I'm going to have another vote in here before my vote. I watched this film with a friend of the podcast, a sister of me, Joanna Brief, a member of the, as of now, the Six Timers Club. And she wanted it known that she thought that this was one of the worst films she had ever seen. Whoa. She was angry at uh, parts of this film. And you know what it was like? It was like watching a movie with Alan Noah. Like watching Spider-Man with Alan Noah, who the whole time is going, this is what I hate about this part. This is what I hate about this part. That That is what you did when we watched Spider-Man right now. Only during the parts that I hated. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Which was pretty much the entire movie. Exactly. So it's like when you point out to me voiceovers and how silly they could be. And this film had a lot of voiceover, by the way, which you didn't comment on. No, no, you're right. It did annoy me. And it did kind of take me out of it at several times because it's like, is it the kid's story? Is it the dad's story? Is it the grandpa's story? Is it all their story? Yeah, that, that was a little annoying. That's fair. I liked um, Gary Marshall. He was fantastic in it. I just couldn't stop seeing Jeremy Piven as Ari Gold, uh, his character from Entourage. You know, he's mostly a douchebag, but deep down he's kind of a heart of gold, so he'll be a good guy. But um, the resolution with his dad really was kind of empty to me. I didn't think it was good enough. Um, I, I, I thought that that was the major part of the story. And you're right, it was very confusing. Is this Benjamin's story or is this uh, the father and grandfather story? Um, there's some really good uh, quips in here. I think some of the subtle kind of things that, you know, when, when I watch uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, there's some real New York Jew stuff that I, I can pick up that isn't necessary for the plot for everyone to see. But... Even the small things in the beginning, yeah, the over-the-top um, Titanic uh, bar mitzvah, that I've seen things like that, not like at weddings and stuff. I loved one line that uh, it's in voiceover, and uh, Benjamin says that when your bar mitzvah's done, you still have to do one more uh, session of Hebrew school, and the rabbi uh, sees the, the, the Stein boy who just had his bar mitzvah in the opener, and he goes, he is going to be starting his new rigorous uh, teenage uh, studies, and, and Stein is like shaking his head, hell no, like I'm done with this. Once the bar mitzvah's done, I'm done, and that's an inside baseball kind of thing, because for a lot of Jewish kids, like, yeah, the moment your, uh, your bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah's done, there's no Jew stuff again until maybe your wedding day when you uh, break a glass, and that's the one Jewish thing you'll have there. So <laughs> I did find that part funny. Um, this was one of those films that there's a lot of great parts. It's okay. I feel like the, a better director, and I don't really know Scott Marshall's other films. 
It felt like a fun student film that you got to make. And it wasn't really about making a lot of money. It was about like little inside jokes for the Jewish kids. And I just didn't think the film itself was that great. I didn't think it was bad. It's occasionally cute. I just think that had they decided what the film was going to be, either a boy who's nervous about the bar mitzvah or the parents who are trying to keep up with the Steins, like that theme is really not much in in the movie. I didn't think that was a big deal. I I think they gave credit that uh, Ben, he's a good guy, and Stein, actually, he's a good kid too. Even the parents aren't obnoxious. I thought that maybe they would have done that a little over the top. Maybe they would have realized how stupid it was to try to be extravagant. And, you know, like you were alluding to, Eli, you know, Barmets was not about the uh, Titanic reenactment. They didn't do any of those things. I thought there was some very nice, from generation to generation, you know, father, son, grandfather. There were some really nice shots, some nice scenes, a couple nice lines. And Gary Marshall was fantastic at it. No problem with him at all. Um, It doesn't stand up in that. I I, I don't think there is a quintessential bar mitzvah movie yet. So that's going to be no. No, it does not stand the test of time for me. All right. Well, I guess you win, Eli. And that's your bar mitzvah present. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, also, you being on the podcast is your bar mitzvah present. So you're giving me two bar mitzvah presents? Um, here, uh, let's see what else I can find on James's table here. No, and I'm going to give you chocolate. Uh, there's a candy cane. That seems like an inappropriate bar mitzvah present. Mm, you see those, uh, those post-its over there? That can be your bar mitzvah present. Oh, how generous. There you go. Eli... Mazel tov on becoming a bar mitzvah. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I think the bar mitzvah is more of the milestone, but this is still fun too. Yeah. And this is number four for you. Coming for that five-timers club. Coach Carter, next movie. Coach Carter. Okay, that's that's what you want to do? That's fine. Yeah, I'm proud of you, man. Get it, man? Because you're a man? Oh, ha, 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 dad. Well, you're almost a man. Once you become a man, you'll think that joke's really funny. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, returning to the show is our friend Darren. He's going to join us to talk about Bowfinger. I am really, really excited to watch this movie again. I saw it once and thought it was hilarious, but I really don't remember much about it. The only thing I remember about it is two words. Gotcha, suckas. No. Those are not the two words I remember. Wow. The two words I remember are chubby rain. But whatever. In the meantime, as always, guys, we want to hear from you. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Write to us. Send Eli some mazel tubs. Mazel tub. Mazel tub, Eli. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. And I do think I was wrong about my number three film. Oh, jeez. Bye. <laughs>